Okay, we're back to podcast, and uh, it's been a little bit. Uh, we've done been doing some live feeds. We did a live feed on Wednesday, uh, of Thanksgiving, and so um, we're going into Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter ten, and Hebrews ten it starts. And again, I, I've already uh, kind of reiterated a lot, especially going into this study how much I, I appreciated and loved Hebrews. Um, but this is, we're, we're getting into my favorite parts of the book. And uh, the latter part of chapter 10, all the way through the end, are are really the um, the sweet spot, if you please, of the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's, a, I mean, it's, that's, saying something based on the fact that the book is so uh, strong and such a just a great book of the Bible. But getting into uh, the latter part, or just really the, <clears throat> I don't want to say meat, because the, the earlier portions may be a little meatier, but this portion of Hebrews is just it's just an enjoyable enjoyable study to me. So let's jump right into it. Verse number nineteen, Hebrews ten, and verse number nineteen. I'm going to just finish Hebrews ten tonight, and we'll get into Hebrews eleven on on Wednesday night um, because we Hebrews eleven's it's it's a catalog in into itself and there's there's several verses left here. So we we start having therefore so it refers back to the preceding verses. Now if you recall the last study we spoke about the new covenant, the new testament and what it is. And so you have Hebrews reads a lot like Romans in regard to the fact that I, if you recall my, my lessons and my teaching on Romans, I, um, I say that it reads like a law brief. It reads like a uh, law case, and it's in essence the Apostle Paul making a case uh, for God against humans um, is, is how Romans reads. Well, Hebrews reads pretty much the same. It is a very... Um, it's an apologetic book, and by an apologetic book, I mean it's making a case. Um, I spent a few years, um, this was post-doctrinal, so I, I really didn't do a lot of it in Bible college, but I did more of it after, uh, really even after my, my pastorate in the mountains. It was, it, was in the, it was in the years in between me leaving the mountains and, and, and uh, God sending me you all's way as I, I done a lot of apologetic studies and what apologetics essentially is is the defending of and so the apologetics concerning the faith would be a defense of the faith it would be a proving and and so again it it's much like our law brief whereas Romans kind of reads like a a prosecute a prosecution side of of the of the bench. Um, the book of Hebrews is more of a, of a defense side of the bench, and it is a it is dealing with defending Christianity. It is defending 
the new way, the new and living way. It's defending the new covenant. That's that's how the book is given to us. And so verse 19, it starts having therefore, so it refers back to the new covenant. So everything that you've read concerning the new covenant, the new way, the new and the living way, the uh, what Christ has done, being a believer, all of that, it's, it's starting to dovetail here. In verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So it all begins to come to this place where we enter into the holiest. Again, I've said it just about every lesson that we've talked about here in, in the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament believer could not do this. The Jew could not do this. They they could not enter in to the presence of God. That's why it was so important when you seen God talking with Moses or God talking with Joshua or God talking with uh, Abraham or Elijah or Elisha. Just all of them. When God would speak up verbally and audibly, it would be such a rare and and miraculous thing because. They no one else had access except the great, except the high priest. They're the only ones that had access to the presence of God. But now we start in verse 19 and 20, and it says, Because of this new covenant, you and I can enter into the holiest place, look, by the blood of Jesus. So under the old economy, it was the blood of bulls, it was the blood of goats, it was the blood of sheep. But now, it's the blood of the holiest, Jesus Christ. By new and living way. So this is a new way. And let's let's not just escape the fact that it's not just a new way. It's a new and a living way. A living way. It's not dead. It's not dead religion. It's not a a dead life. It's not a dead dogma. It's not a dead way of looking and living life. It is a new <coughs> and it's a living way. Now that I love that. It's it's alive. This Christianity, this way of living, this way of life is alive. Okay? Dead no more. We live and we live alive because of this, this new way that God is telling us. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That's so self-explanatory, it's, it's, it's shame almost. It's easy. You see, the veil before had to be entered into. It had to, the, the high priest would go behind the veil and and of course this was a very high high curtain. The veil was a curtain, it, but it was thick. It was it was if if I recall correctly, it was over a foot thick. It was thick. It was wide. Um, it was long, and and it was taller than any man could reach. And that's the insignificance of it being rent from top to bottom. At when when. Christ's death occurred was was the fact that when that happened, that was God renting the veil. Now we come to Hebrews. Just let me go into that because that's what Hebrews is dealing with. The veil was the curtain. 
but it wasn't a curtain like in your house. It was an extremely thick curtain that the great high or the high priest would enter in behind where he would perform his sacrifices. And if you recall, when Christ died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent twain from top to bottom. That's significant. So man didn't do it because man couldn't reach the top. It occurred from top to bottom, God rent the veil. And so God having rent that veil, that meant that he is doing away with the old way and man now has access. Well, we come to Hebrews and look. We see through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So it was Christ's flesh. It was the death of Christ. It was the tearing and the rending of the flesh of Jesus Christ that provides, provides you and I a way to enter in to the presence of God. So now... We don't have to stand afar off. We don't have to wonder what God says. We don't have to wonder what he thinks. We don't have to go through life negligent of experiencing and feeling and hearing and, and, and going through life without him. We now have access to God through the rent veil of the flesh of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, And having an high priest over the house of God, Remember what the house of God is? It's not a building. It's not a church building. It's not brick and mortar. You and I are the house of God. So we've got a high priest over us. <clears throat> Before the house of God was a temple. Now we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. See, this? See, it's so beautiful. Let us draw near with a true heart. So that means let us draw near to God with a true and a complete heart in full assurance of faith. So with the full assurance of our faith, with knowing what we believe, whom we believe, how we believe it, we can draw near to him with a true with a true heart. And I I, I listen to biographies. Um I'll just listen to Christian biographies. I listen to modern, more modern day biographies. And I had a, a thought come upon my heart this this morning, actually. Uh, and while I was at work, we're, we're on six days now at UPS because of the Christmas season. And it was the biography of Clarence Thomas. And he, he began to speak it about an honest life. And I thought, that's so profound to live an honest life. And that draws close to what we're we're talking about today. It says here, have our, our verse number um, twenty-two. Let us draw near with a true heart, true heart, with honesty from the inside. And that's the most important thing in walking with God and living for God is is our hearts in alignment, in complete truth with Him. In full assurance, because if it is, we can walk with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, so that is spirit, soul, body, all cleansed through the power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and even body. I know our bodies are not perfect. We we're carrying around a robe and a body of flesh until... We're in the presence of God, but that doesn't mean that there's not a cleansing and repentance that even comes in our bodies, okay? 
verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. So when someone gets saved, that's typically how I phrase it, is a profession of faith. Because I've seen a lot of people make professions of faith and not really get saved. So I generally up front say they've made a profession of faith and let's pray. Let's pray for them. And so that's what verse 23 says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Wavering. That means to go from one side to the other, back and forth, in and out. See a lot of that in our day and have for many, many years. For he is faithful that promise. So if he's faithful, Bible says in verse 23, he is faithful that promised. If he's faithful, can we not be faithful? You know, you might not be a preacher. You might not have the ability to teach or to communicate the truths. You might not be a singer. You you might not have uh, talent as you see other people have. That's okay. That's between God and you. But you can be faithful. You can be faithful. There's not one of us that can't be faithful. And that's that's the call. Verse number 24. Here's why we should be faithful. Not so the preacher will lay off our backs. Not so you won't feel guilty. Not so, uh, you know, he, you won't have to hear him preaching on Hebrews 10.25. Why be faithful, preacher? Right here, verse 26, verse 24. And let us consider one, or I'm sorry, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We can and should be faithful because he was faithful. And not only was he faithful, he is faithful. So our faithfulness should be a mirror and should be a result of his faithfulness in our lives. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we're to be faithful and we are to provoke each other to good works. Now, that verse that I quote all the time in its context, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's verse 25 of Hebrews 10. That's the verse I use for being faithful to church. The Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It doesn't say if the people there are not hypocrites. It doesn't say if you like these people. It doesn't say if you get along with these people. It doesn't say if they're your kind of people. It doesn't say if you can relate to them. It doesn't add any of those issues. It just quick, quick simply says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, okay? To not forsake 
the assembling of ourselves together. I know there's providential hindrance. I know there's work. I know there's sickness. I know there's issues. But it should not be an it should not be a consistent pattern in our life to forsake assembling with other believers. Why? Because the Bible says clearly that other believers should provoke one another to good works, should exhort one another, should encourage one another. That's why. <clears throat> now, if you are in, a, in an assembly where people do not do that, then I will consider going to another assembly. What are the reasons to leave an assembly? What are the reasons to leave a group of people, a group, a church, as we would say it? What? Well, you see in there doctrinally, you see in the Bible morally, and you see in the Bible where they don't encourage and exhort one another to live for God. Those three things, that's it. Personalities aren't there. Whether you like people or like the preacher is not there. Whether you agree with everything, it's none, of, none of that's there. The reasons to depart from an assembly are doctrinal. If they go in doctrinal error or moral error, okay, or, or there's not the exhorting of one another to live for God. To walk with God. That's it. That's it. And I find it funny. People get mad. And they leave because they're upset because of uh, where you meet. Or they're upset because somebody offended them. Or they're upset and leave because a preacher took it. They took exception to the preacher's message. None of those are biblical grounds for leaving a church. Not one. Not one. Far cry from what we see today, isn't it? All right, verse number 26. For if we sin willfully, so that means staying out of the assembly willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sins. So you don't have to get saved over and over and over again because God died, Jesus died once. There's not another sacrifice for your sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment, fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. And unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. That's speaking of people that say they got saved again and again, or people that say they get saved and they go back to living in the world. The Bible's saying, look, you, you can't you can't crucify the Son of God anew, you can't crucify the Son of God afresh. It's a shame. It's a shame for him to have died for us and us to continue to go back into sin. And the Bible is adamant adamant concerning this teaching okay very clear very adamant on what the scriptures teach concerning our walk with god and our staying with god after we make our our profession of faith and we get saved by god's grace verse number 
30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So vengeance belongs to God. I don't have any place for vengeance. I don't have any place to, to get people back, quote unquote. It's vengeance is his. And I have to leave vengeance and retribution to him, not for me to take it upon myself. Verse 31, this is the truth. This is a, a very serious verse. It is a very uh, it's a very sobering verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So um, we should we should be fearful of living in sin. And being judged of God. We should be fearful of not being saved and falling into the hands of the living God. We we should fear that. You know, I won't say fear of hell is the best reason to get saved. But it is a good reason to get saved. I mean, you can figure the rest of it out, but the important thing is is to get saved, walk with God, so you don't have to go to hell. Then when you figure out you don't have to go to hell, you need to learn to live with, for him out of appreciation of the fact that you ain't going to hell. All right, verse number 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were eliminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. So before you decide to quit and before you decide to give it up, Remember verse 32, to call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated and you went through it. Verse 33, partly while she were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches that, you know what a gazing stock is? That's a good, that's a good word. Good word. Let me preach on that word or teach on that word a minute. It gives the idea of going to the cattle market and picking out stock. Going to the, the cattle market, picking out cows, picking out bulls, and you gaze at them. Why would you do that? You look for imperfections. You look at how strong they look. You look at what they are. And look at what that Bible calls us. It calls us, in essence, people that are being gay, or, or, or that we are. We go through gazing stock. In other words, the world does look at us. Fair or not, right, wrong, or indifferent, the world does look at us and how we live and how we choose to live and looks for imperfections and it looks for strengths just like we would cattle before we purchased it. And so look at what the Bible says. Verse 33, partly whilst you were made a gazing stop both by the reproaches and afflictions. So when you go through reproach, and afflictions, the world is watching. When my wife left, when I went through what I did, the world was watching. People around me were watching. My children were watching. And I didn't always make the best choices. I didn't always, I, I, I felt bitter. I felt angry. I felt upset with God for, for in my mind, allowing those things. And the Bible's teaching us that when we go through afflictions and we go through problems, that we're a gazing stock, that the world is watching us. 
So the next time you go through something that you don't think is fair, something that you don't think you ought to be going through, something happening that you don't know why it's happening, be careful. You could be a gazing stock to the world to watch how you respond to that. I know I've lived that. Verse number 33, And partly whilst you become companions of them that were so used, for ye had compassion of me and my bonds. This is the verse why people think it was Paul that wrote this. Um, because he, he refers to the bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. That's people that give to Paul. That's people that didn't have money to give, but they give it to Paul or whomever. They didn't have money to give, but they give it to a, a godly cause. They didn't have money to give, but they give it as it, as it was on their heart. And the Bible teaches us there that this is not our home. We don't live for this. And if you give here and now sacrificially, then God's going to give it all back in the world to come. Verse number 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For ye a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. So he's going to come, and when he comes, he's not going to tarry when he comes. He's, he's coming. That's the promise of Jesus coming. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Next time we're going into Hebrews 11, but we got to look at how Hebrews 10 closes. It closes with an admonition. You see how this entire chapter is unfolded. It's talked about the better covenant, the better sacrifice. It goes into the church and being a part of a church and encouraging one another in a church and coaxing and encouraging, exhorting others to live for God and to stay with God and and reminding others that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and how much better Jesus is. And on and on and on we see this and it's such a, an encouragement to people. It's such a a strength to people and what God wants for us. And then he winds up with this wonderful verse, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them to the believing of the saving of the soul. That's that's how I like this to end. That's how I try to end my messages. He brings them out in ver in all of these verses. Sometimes it's pretty hard. Sometimes it's not the easiest stuff to preach nor to talk about. But then he winds up and says, you know what? We're not of them, though. And he warns, and he promises judgment, and he tell, talks about all kinds of repercussions as if you fall back on God. But he says, you're not of them. I don't believe you're of them. I'm not of them. We're not of them. You keep pressing on for Jesus' sake. Amen. That's good. That's such good stuff. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've enjoyed Hebrews 10. The next time we will be in Hebrews chapter number 11. And good evening. God bless. And I love each of you. Good night.